Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We're so thankful that you're taking some time today to listen. We pray that this week's message challenges you to press in deeper with your pursuit of Christ. Our mission at Vision Church is to go and make disciples. You can help us in this mission by rating this podcast and sharing it with the world via social media. We want to reach the lost by raising up the found. Thank you again for tuning in today and enjoy the message. Today we're beginning a brand new series called Church in the Wild. It's a little bit of a crazy title, but hopefully it'll make a little bit more sense as we get started. First Peter chapter one, beginning in verse one. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. And as a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Verse six, so truly be glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. And even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise, much glory and honor in the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, though you have never seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious and expressible joy. The reward of trusting in him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something that even the prophets wanted to know more when they prophesied about his gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance of Christ's suffering and great glory afterward. They were told that their message, their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things to happen. Pray with me now. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, the name highly exalted above all names. And today we ask that you'd be strong in my weakness and that you would make ready the hearts of your people to receive the word of truth. Father, we need you to reveal yourself and your word to us. Help us to see you as you are. And may your church receive what the Spirit is saying. Lord, 
be glorified in all we say and do. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. I want to give you a little context and background into the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be going chapter by chapter through both 1 and 2 Peter over the next several weeks. It will take roughly seven weeks to get our way through this. And I love preaching chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Bible, because we end up talking about topics and things that maybe otherwise we would have overlooked for decades. So it's an exciting challenge and I hope Hope it uh, brings life to you. So the context here is that Peter is the author. You all remember Peter? He was that lovable, zealous, boisterous disciple who sometimes put his foot in his mouth. He's a lovable character. Nobody was as bold for Jesus, both in their acceptance of him and in their mistakes that they made. Y'all remember Peter denied Jesus three times at his most critical hour? And right before that, Peter also infamously tried to talk Jesus out of dying on the cross. He was like, oh no, Lord, you don't need to do that. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. How many of you know if Jesus calls you Satan, we're off to a bad start, all right? So, but this is Peter. And the beauty of seeing Peter is that you can vividly see that God can use imperfect people to bring about his perfect plan and will. And if God can use Peter, God can use you. Peter wrote this book, this letter, to scattered believers of both Jewish and Gentile descent. They were all throughout Asia Minor. And listen, this is very important. The backdrop behind this book is that the believers are beginning to face unprecedented persecution for their faith. They were no longer allowed to gather and worship corporately. They were being harshly oppressed. Some of them were not able to work in the world's economy of the Roman Empire. But as he writes 1 Peter, he is anticipating an escalation in the persecution that is to come. We have the benefit of history looking back, and we can see that that is precisely what happened. In the years that immediately followed the writing of 1 Peter, we see the emperor Nero who was a wicked, demon-possessed leader of the Roman Empire, viciously and violently without mercy persecute early Christians, attempting to extinguish it from the face of the earth. He's writing this letter to a church that soon will face persecution. Today, I believe this is a perfect word for the church right now. And I'll tell you one more reason why we named it Church in the Wild. In chapter 5 of 1 Peter, you're going to see that Peter addresses these believers as the church in Babylon. He's not talking about their geography or Mesopotamia. He's talking about the spirit of the age in which they existed. They were a little speck of light surrounded by perversion, confusion, and dysfunction. They were surrounded on all sides by adversaries who wanted to sift them like wheat. And the truth is, 2,000 years later, these words transcend time and they speak brilliantly right into the condition of the age in which we live because we too are a city on a hill, a light in the darkness, surrounded by a world of confusion, perversion. And I want you to understand there is coming a time where it will no longer be popular to be a Christian and it's time to count the cost. Are you really ready to follow Jesus regardless what it 
it may cost you. And I'm not trying to, you know, be a doomsday preacher here, but I am going to warn you that it very likely will get worse for you as a Christian before it gets better. The world at large right now is already beginning to turn on Christians. It's okay to be anything but a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching Christian. And you watch, the heat will get turned up. And you know what? That doesn't make me nervous. That doesn't make me sad. In a weird way, it gets me a little excited. Because when the church is persecuted, the church thrives. See, pressure and persecution separates the pretenders from the real thing. Those who are just here for what they can get out of it, they're going to bounce when things, the heat gets turned up. But those who really are in love with Jesus, those who have really been transformed by his gospel, they will be more bold and more loving and more zealous than ever before. So that's why we're here preaching. First Peter, church in the wild. The first major point of this sermon today as we work our way down the chapter is you don't belong. Look at your neighbor with some attitude and tell them you don't belong. Tell them like you mean it. Husbands, be careful. All right? You don't belong. Look at verse one. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. Your biblical translation might use the word aliens, strangers, or even pilgrims. That word right there means that you are a foreigner in this world. And the idea behind this vocabulary is that you do not fit in in the world any longer and you do not belong to this world. It's important that you understand that the moment you repented of your sin and you gave your life to Jesus Christ by faith, in that moment, a spiritual event took place where you were born again. Scripture says that in Christ, former things pass away and in him, all things are made new. You transition spiritually from death to life. The world is no longer our master. The, the world is no longer our lover. Now we no longer love the world. We love the Lord, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We've transitioned from death to life. It's imperative that you understand that you are going to be rejected you're going to be unfollowed, unfriended. You are going to be rejected in this world if you live and look like Jesus. And the sooner you're okay with that, the closer you'll become to him and the more radiant you will shine as a witness for Christ in the world. This world is not our home. Don't live for the moment. Don't live for the world. It's all passing away. We're living for eternity and a kingdom far greater. Yeah. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says this, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Scripture says in Ephesians 3.20 that we are no longer citizens of this world, but now we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. This is why Nero hated the early church, because their allegiance was not to some emperor, it was to the king of glory. 
And you have to understand that the ways of the world, its ideology, its culture, its perspective is the polar opposite of the kingdom of heaven. They could not be further apart. We are no longer citizens of the world, but citizens of heaven. You have to understand the world tells you, you live how you want to live. You live your truth. You do what you want with who you want, when you want, and don't let anybody question you. And if they do, they're a hater. But Christianity says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And do I not know that my body is not my own? I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't live for me any longer. I live for the King of glory. The world and the way of heaven are completely opposite. Scripture says that broad and wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go at it. But the way that leads to life is straight and narrow, and few there be that find it. Why is it straight and why is it narrow? Because Jesus is the only way. This world is obsessed with carnal appetites, pleasures, momentary, impulsive pleasures. John 15, 19, these are the words of Jesus. He said, the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of this world. I chose you to come out of the world and so it hates you. The world is obsessed with lust, pride, greed, and selfish ambition. I want you to look with me at 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament. It's beautiful. Listen. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves this world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And this is not of the Father, but of this world. And the world is passing away and the lusts of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Jesus called you out. Look at your neighbor, the one you've been ignoring, and tell him, Jesus called you out. (laughs) And I'm about to offend everybody in here, but good morning and welcome to Vision. And I'm going to pull up in your driveway and I'm going to be waving to you from the driveway. So don't, I'm, an equal, I'm an equal opportunity offender today. I want you to understand today, many Christians didn't get this memo. That to be a Christian means you're an alien, a foreigner in this world. We want to be loved by everybody. We want to be accepted by everybody. We want everybody to follow us and like us and love us. But that's not how it works. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to be willing to pick up your cross and follow after him. Most Christians today, we want everything and all that the world has to offer, and we want heaven too. You've heard the old adage, you want your cake and eat it too? Well, that's the truth today in American Christianity. We want all the blessings of the world, but we also want to be forgiven. We want heaven. We want to make it. Let me help you understand something today. You can't love the world and Jesus. You gotta make up your mind. And I'm gonna gonna offend you, here we go. We wanna sleep around. We wanna live together, we wanna shack up. We wanna sleep with people that we ain't married to. We wanna have inappropriate emotional affairs with people we don't have any business, we're not married to. We wanna slide in the DMs of people we shouldn't be talking to. We wanna get high on Wednesday. 
do our thing, live for ourselves, cheat people on Friday, and then we want to come in and praise the Lord. You got to make up your mind. Do you love the world or do you love Jesus? I'm not preaching legalism or sinless perfection, but I am telling you this. When you taste of the goodness of Jesus, something changes inside of you. And you just can't keep living the way you used to live because you don't love it anymore. Your relationship with sin changes when you are born again. Before Christ, you sinned because it's who you were. It was natural. It's you lived in it. You jumped in it head first without conviction. Oh, but now in Christ, you're a new creation. There's a conviction when you say things you shouldn't say. You live in ways you shouldn't live. You know there's a conviction inside of you. That's because your heart's been changed. Church, let me remind you, you're an alien, you're a foreigner, you're a pilgrim. This world is not your own. The scripture says the world and everything in it is perishing. If you cling to this world, you cling to this life, you will surely lose your life. But any man who gives up his life for his sake will find life everlasting. I want you to understand the world is decaying. The world is perishing, it's dying right before your eyes. This is the Titanic and we're all sinking. Stop rearranging the deck chairs, falling in love with your first class suite and let's get off the Titanic and let's turn to Jesus. Tell your neighbor, this is sinking. This is sinking. Let me put it to you like this way. What would it profit you if you gained the whole world but lose your soul? Look at Jeff Bezos. Look at Elon. Look at the people with all the money. Look at the people with all the fame and all the power. They're more miserable than they've ever been because the world is not enough for you and it never will be. No matter how much you acquire, it'll never quench the lust of greed. You'll always want more. Turn to Jesus. We are aliens, strangers in this world. By the way, you can't be a light and continue to live in darkness. Let me say it to this side of the room. You can't claim to be the light of the world while you continue to live, talk, and act just like the world. Do you understand that your life should be different? You shouldn't have to come into your work and say, hey, hi, I'm, I'm Tyson and I'm a Christian. You shouldn't even have to tell people. They should be able to tell by the way you conduct yourself, the way you live your life. If you talk just like the world, you cuss, you carry on, you use all the four-letter expletives. And, and look, I know you feel me getting legalistic. I'm not getting legalistic. I'm just preaching the word. I'm telling you, you should be different. You gossiping, foul speech, hate coming out of your mouth. Then you still, you look just like the world. You're supposed to be the light, not the darkness. He called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. So it's time to live what we say we believe. And do you know something about the darkness and the light? The darkness hates the light. Have you ever been sound asleep and somebody just flips the light on full blast? You're like, get behind me, Satan, right? <laughs> Why? Because the darkness hates the light and it always has and it always will because the light is convicting. The light shows that there's a God, there's a way and you are not him. Live your life in a way that brings glory to Jesus. I wonder, 
Does the world love you? Does the world recognize you? Listen, or are you an alien, a stranger, not fitting in, not belonging? First Peter goes on to say, we're a strange and peculiar people. Nobody wants to amen that, but you are weird. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, you're supposed to be weird. <laughs> not super weird, okay? Just, just. I'm gonna tell a story. Ready for a story? I don't normally tell stories here because I wanna magnify the word, but I think this story does magnify the word, so I'm gonna tell you a story. So I actually played college basketball, believe it or not. Don't get excited. It was a small Division II school. We had more people coming to my high school games than college, okay? And uh, anyway, I was the only freshman in my class with a scholarship, the only one. And I also happened to be really the only Christian on the team. They were nice guys. I loved them, you know, but I just did not fit in, like on many levels. Like I'm from West Virginia for one, okay? So like, I just didn't fit in. I was like a stranger, an alien in that place. And to be honest, like early on in the beginning, it was a little bit rough. They would come up with nicknames, little jabs here and there, um, you know, and then, Ultimately, I just kept being consistent. I was not perfect. I'm still not perfect, but I sincerely love Jesus and I want to authentically follow him with all my heart. I didn't say yes to the things everybody else said yes to. I didn't go to the parties everybody else went to. I didn't talk the way everybody else talked. And yes, it was uncomfortable and it was a little bit weird, but you know what? The same guys who would jab and make fun and tease, the first time their life hit crisis and they needed prayer, guess who they called? Hey, preacher, will you pray for me? My mom got a diagnosis. Will you pray for my family? I want to challenge you today. Be a light in the darkness. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. And the Lord will bring people to you. Be consistent. Be faithful. And eventually those people that mock you and ridicule you, they'll come to you and say, pray for me. Help me. This is the word of the Lord. I was preaching even then. And one Sunday, I got up to preach, and I looked out, and my whole team filed in and took up a whole row in the church to come and hear the word of God. I'm not a hero. It's not about me. And I didn't even preach to them. I was just faithful and authentic. That's what it means to be a light. You're a church in the wild. You're surrounded by darkness. And if you'll just be consistent and you'll just be faithful. That light will draw men to Christ. It will do it. That was verse one. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? I'm not. Uh, verse two. <laughs> and God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy, and as a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Church, again, remember, he's talking to a persecuted people. And he says, hey, you're being persecuted because you're a stranger, but don't grow weary in well-doing. Keep standing. Hold the line. Be the light. But then he goes a step further and watch this. This is magnificent. He says, you don't belong in the world, but you do belong to Jesus you may be rejected by men, but you've been chosen by God. Somebody needs to hear me today. You, men may have rejected you and overlooked you, but God Almighty has chosen you. That's what it says right there. Some of your translations may say, the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Does anybody have a translation that says that? A lot of them do. 
So we've come up with some really interesting theology and doctrine based on that phrase right there. But let me help you. The word elect means chosen. All right? Uh, every other November, you go and elect. You vote somebody. We're not going to get political. I don't have time for that. All right? But election is you choose. You choose. Okay? But God does not choose you randomly, arbitrarily. He's not like, okay, you and you. No, no. He chooses according to his foreknowledge. What does that mean? It means that God exists outside of time, space, and matter. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, and he has seen your end from the beginning, and he had the foreknowledge of who would respond to the gospel of his precious son, and to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to be the sons of God. You've been chosen by God according to your response of the gospel of Christ. Is that not beautiful? Did I confuse you? Okay, hopefully not. But it's just magnificent and beautiful. Moving on to verses three through five. This is super important, church. I'm not gonna read it because I've already read it. But in the verses three through five, he transitions and he begins to tell them something absolutely magnificent. He says, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your persecution, you need to do two things. You need to set your mind on two things. But before I tell you what those two things are, let me tell you what it's not. Peter writing to people who are afflicted and soon to be martyred for their faith, he never once talks about their affliction. As you skim through and read through the pages of 1 Peter, he never says, guys, I'm sorry. This is about to be really bad. Like Nero's a jerk. Like this is gonna be awful. He never focuses on their trouble. Instead, he sets their mind on the things above. Hear me, Satan wants you to be so focused on the trouble that it overwhelms you and it overtakes and overshadows God's place in your life. He wants you to be so fixated on the injustice, so fixated on the disease, so fixated on the problem that you never once lift your eyes towards heaven where your help comes from. But in the midst of trial, Peter says, I want you to think about two things, not your trouble. I want you to think about the gospel. Tell your neighbor, think about the gospel. And the reason this is so profound is because you can't think about the gospel and not be grateful. When you think of the gospel, it tells you that you and I were sinners, dead in our sin, lost in our trespasses, enemies of God. But while we were yet sinners, he loved us and sent his son to die for us. You can't think of the gospel and not be grateful. And I'm going to tell you, something happens when you begin to praise and you begin to worship and your heart is filled with gratitude in the midst of your trial. Because you can't, hear me, you can't praise and be miserable at the same time. James said a fountain brings forth either sweet or bitter water. So you can either be negative and critical and complain, or you can say, you know what, Lord? Things may not be great right now, but you're worthy. And I thank you for your love. I thank you for your son. I thank you for your mercy. 
Worship may never change your circumstance, but it will always change your heart. He says, set your mind on the gospel. Also, when we set our mind on the gospel, another amazing thing happens. Our suffering doesn't look so potent anymore when we compare it to Christ's cross. See, today, we think we're suffering if somebody steals our parking space at Costco. We think we're suffering if they didn't like my picture on Facebook. They didn't like, they just saw it, but they didn't like it. I'm afflicted. No, homie, you're not afflicted. <laughs> like, I know you stubbed your toe on the coffee table and it hurts, but you're going to make it. And I'm the first, I'm like, I am, I'll be the first one to say I'm a baby sometimes. Like, I get a cold and I'm like, out. My wife is way tougher. Women are the tougher species. I'm sorry, men. They just are. Okay. But I want you to hear me. When we think about the gospel, it puts our suffering into perspective. I'm not trying to belittle the storms that you're walking through in your life. But the truth is, when we think about Christ and his cross and how he died a death of asphyxiation and he was tortured and his blood was spilled for our redemption, we only become grateful and thankful, but we also see our suffering and it grows strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. In suffering, we are not only to think about the gospel, but we're also to think about eternity. Tell your other neighbor, think about eternity. Think about eternity. This is super important, church, because when you're in a trial, it can be all-consuming. When you're in a trial, it seems like you're enveloped in darkness and you cannot see your way out. But Peter reminds them over these three verses, verses three, four, and five, he tells them, don't think about your trouble, think about the gospel, and also remember that there is eternity. And though your trouble is real, your trouble won't last. Oh, I'm about to take a lap in here. Your trouble won't last. See, in the light of eternity, the trouble seems to diminish in the light of his glory. When I understand and set my mind on the things of eternity, it, it reminds me and assures me that though my pain may be real, my trouble will not last always. And on the other side of this suffering, there is breakthrough and there is victory. Three of you golf clapping on that, but it's, you three are right. I'm with you, okay? The trouble won't last. And while I'm here, just one more thing. If you study this a little more in depth, you'll see Peter use words to describe eternity and heaven that are beautiful. And what he's doing is he's saying, even if you are the least in the kingdom of heaven, like if you just barely make it to heaven, like you smell like smoke getting in there, jumping into the fire, you just barely made it. You cannot imagine the glory that awaits you. Even the least in the kingdom cannot fathom. No eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that await those who are purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful promise. I wish I'd get somebody at Vision Church who would praise the Lord with me today. I'm thankful. I'm grateful. Everything in this world is perishing. Let it go and cling to Jesus. Verses six through seven also show us a magnificent truth right here. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. 
And even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor in the day that Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Church, what I'm about to share with you is super important. Scripture doesn't say if trials come. It says when trials come. Some of you aren't even taking notes. You're halfway listening to me today because you're doing pretty good and life is 75 and sunny. Trouble will come. All right? Tests will come. But I want you to watch this. This is super powerful. The test is for you. Tell your neighbor with some attitude. Say, the test is for you. Look, I know you think the test happened to you. The storm happened to you. But actually, the tests of life happen for you. I'm going to show you why. Do you think the tests and the trials and the difficult seasons of life, God is up there with like a checklist going, hmm, let's see how he fares. Okay. Like the test is not so that God will then have this revelation of who you really are and how your faith is. He already knows. Remember, I told you he's transcendent over time, space, and matter. He sees the end from the beginning. The test is not so that God can see the true workings of your faith. The test is so you can see yourself as you really are. The tests are for you. Because it's our nature to overestimate how spiritually strong we are. But in the storms and in the pressure is where we realize what's really within us. In the pain and in the trials, what's inside is what actually comes out. And some of us, we have a false sense of security thinking we're stronger than we really are. Have you ever been to the gym and like you try to do the bench press with just the bar? You feel like the man. Like when there's no resistance, it's like I could rep this thing like 150 times, no big deal. Yeah, because there's no resistance, homie. Add some 45s on there, double stack it and let's see how strong you are. It's the resistance that reveals and produces strength within us. And just, I'm just going to let you in on the secret. You ready? The purpose of the storm and the trial is not to reveal how strong you are. It's to reveal how weak you are so you see it and depend on him. Because in my, in my weakness, your strength is made perfect. And in the storms of life is where we learn to fall in his arms and rely on his strength to carry us. The test is for you. Moving on, scripture tells us in verses 8 through 12 that we don't have to see in order to believe. That blessed are those who believe who have not yet seen. Peter had the luxury of seeing Christ and seeing his resurrected body. But blessed are those who still believe who have not seen. He goes on to say that the saints of old long to see the revealing of God's mysterious plan to save the world. Think about this church just for a minute. 
Do you realize that Isaiah, Zechariah, David, the prophets of old, Daniel, they only had glimpses, bits and pieces of the puzzle, glimpses of what God would ultimately do to save humanity. They longed for the revelation that you and I have today. We are a privileged people. We are a blessed people because now we look back 2,000 years ago and we see that rugged cross. We see our Savior that was nailed to a cross. We see the miracles and we see the empty tomb. We have the benefit of seeing the revelation of God's mysterious plan to save the world through his precious son, Jesus Christ. The saints of old would have given anything to see what you see now. The Bible goes a step further and it says, even the angels lean in to see the gospel unfold. It's right there in verse 12. Did you see it? Why do the angels lean in? The angels lean in because when they fell, not one drop of blood was shed for their redemption. Revelation 12 says that one third of heaven's angels fell with Lucifer. Not one sacrifice was offered. Not one drop of blood was spilled. But yet for men and women of the earth, we are made of the mire and the clay of earth. We were made just a little bit lower than the angels, yet he crowned us with glory and honor. Though we are his enemies, though we have rejected him, though we've been sinful and self-absorbed, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but find life everlasting at the mention of the gospel even the angels stand in awe Ephesians 2 says that we are God's masterpiece and that in all future ages he will point back to us as the examples of his incredible grace and kindness and mercy Church, do you hear what I'm saying to you? Ephesians 2 is literally telling you that in heaven, 10,000 years times 10,000 years, you will be the subject and the catalyst, a source of his praise. If the angels were to ever grow weary in their praise, he will point to fallen humanity and say, I redeemed them. Look at my grace. Look at my mercy. Look at my kindness. And even the angels, the celestial beings, they will rejoice and praise his name for even heaven has never seen a love like this before. The gospel that we take for granted it's precious and it is the most beautiful message the world could ever hear. He goes on to tell us to endure the suffering, endure the trials that come your way because like Christ enduring the cross, there was glory on the other side. And if you will stay true to the faith and endure the rejection, endure the injustice, there too will be glory on the other side of suffering. He goes on to tell us in verses 13 through 17 that we are to live a holy life in a hostile world. Going back to the beginning, we're foreigners, strangers in a world that does not belong to us. Scripture says, be holy as I am holy. 
church, do you feel that? Like preachers don't say this stuff to you anymore because they want to take large offerings and they want large attendance. They just want you to keep coming. They don't want to offend you. Well, with all due respect, I'm way beyond all that. 11 years ago, I started as a volunteer and I'll be a volunteer tomorrow if I have to be because this is not about my career. It's about my calling and my responsibility is to declare God's word to you. And it says that you and I are to be holy as he is holy. You know, when I used to read that as a young person, I used to get overwhelmed with fear. And I was like, how could I ever be holy as God is holy? And I felt this insurmountable weight until I realized that what he's saying, holiness does not mean sinless perfection. Holiness means a life set apart, a life consecrated, a life that is different and distinguished, a strange and peculiar people, a people that live for him. When he says, I want you to be holy, he means I want you to live for me. I want you to consecrate your life, your body, your emotions, your will for me. It's not sinless perfection. It's genuine love and obedience to Christ. And when we sin and make mistakes, we must repent and get back up and follow after Jesus again. Are you with me today? You believe it? We're to live a holy life in a hostile world. A high price was paid to save your soul. Your redemption, your salvation does not hinge on your performance, your church attendance, your giving. None of your works, not silver or gold, could never purchase your salvation. We were redeemed with something far greater, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. If you're in this room today or you're watching online and you're not right with God, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now, a genuine, sincere prayer of repentance. Pray with me all over this room. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we repent of our sin. We acknowledge, God, the error of our ways and we admit that our life has been marked by lust, pride, greed, and selfish ambition. God, have mercy. Today, we believe that 2,000 years ago, you sent your son, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, performed the miraculous, and took my place on the cross. And he who knew no sin became my sin, that I might be called the righteousness of God through him. He died and was buried, and on the third day he rose from the grave. Jesus, I give you my life, my past, my present, and my future. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And where you call me, I will go. I will serve you. Give me the strength to follow you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, click that subscribe button, share this podcast on social, or even take a screenshot from your story and tag us. We'd love to hear how the Lord is using this podcast to bless your life. You can send an email to info at visionchurch.com or you can DM us on social with a story of how God is moving in your world. Also, we'd like to thank those who invest in our ministry financially. It's because of your sacrifice that we are able to publish this every week. If you'd like to join in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in the description or visit visionchurch.com and click the Give tab. Thanks again for listening. God bless. Thank you.